Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the 12-6 Podcast. I'm your host, Colin McHugh, and on today's episode, we have American League Player Association representative and St. Louis Cardinals relief pitcher, Andrew Miller. Andrew has had a long, illustrious career in the major leagues, but not without some struggles and challenges along the way. He's played in both leagues, he's played on multiple teams over the course of about 15 years, and he's arguably the most consistent reliever in baseball over the last decade. We talk about playing for different types of managers, the much-talked-about dry hump, and what it was like to be locked in a hotel during a COVID outbreak on their team this season. I love this guy. I think Andrew is one of the most well-informed and well-intentioned ballplayers I've ever met. As always, if you're not subscribed to the show, go ahead and do that so that you're up to date whenever new episodes air. And without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's conversation with Andrew Miller. You big gamer? You you know you gamer on the road? No, not at all. Actually, I brought my PlayStation for the first time ever for this trip because we're going on this crazy long potentially road trip. So I brought a, a PlayStation, but not a gamer. Wait, is this the is this the road trip to like try and make up all the games that were missed during that COVID time? Part of it. So we just played five games in three days against uh, Milwaukee. But the biggest, the craziest part is there's like potential that because of the bubble as they call it if we're so we're on the road right now we go home the last like four days of the season but that bubble would have started so we're on the road for 10 days now or something we'll come home for five more days of the regular season if we went all the way to game seven of the world series it's like 52 days or something like that without going back home holy shit what are we what what are we doing this is (laughs) yeah you're you're missing out on a special year Man, I, I've been talking to guys like across the league, trying to figure out, trying to like piece together what it actually feels like to be a major leaguer in 2020 right now. You've got a unique experience being from being in St. Louis, going through a COVID lockdown and trying now trying, like you said, five games in three days. When was the last time you did that in the big leagues? Never. Never. Yeah. Yeah. Never. We would never, we would never do that. The idea of like, we're used to playing a game every day for 10 to 15 days straight, but double headers are a special hell, especially for a reliever. So (laughs) if you have two of them in one season, that's like just over the limit. That's like, that's unacceptable. You can't, people are freaking out. Yeah. How's the bullpen feeling right now? Tonight, we actually kind of, we had a starter leave the game injury, hopefully nothing major. So we kind of, we shouldered it, but then a couple days ago, we had a double header and they picked up all but two thirds of an inning. So we're doing all right. All things considered, we've, Honestly, I'm shocked how well we've handled it. It's been nuts that we've had guys stay as healthy as they have, in my opinion. It's been a, it's a challenging year for everybody. But then, yeah, you mentioned our lockdown. You know, the, the starting and stopping is is hard on a baseball player. I know it is for me, and we've handled it surprisingly well. So, a, a credit to you know the staff, the training guys, all that kind of thing. Because you know, if you asked me before it started how we were going to hold up, I would have not given you a whole lot of optimism that we were going to be able to compete well. I mean, we talked about it at length this summer. I mean, both being on the executive committee with the union about what are we going to do if X hits? What are we going to do if a team goes down? If two teams go down? If a half a league goes down? What? How are we going to? How are we going to figure this out and piece it together? And you were in a situation in which you had to sit. Were you all at home or were you all in a hotel where you had to just sit and stay? So we started. So we went on our very first road trip, and we had. I think a two-day series in Milwaukee. The second day in Milwaukee, we learned of our first, or uh, oh, sorry, Minnesota. Second day in Minnesota, we learned of our first positive. And then we flew to Milwaukee, or I guess that positive happened that day. We found out about it when we got to Milwaukee. So then we stayed in our room. I think we were there for eight days. And the only time we left our rooms was for testing. So you literally got texted the night before at 8.30 or 9.15, go to this room, do your testing. And that was like your 10 minutes of outside of your room. That was it. <laughs> and then we're like, okay, I think we were seven or eight days out. We basically got the clearance to hop on a plane. Let's go back to St. Louis. We're going to have a workout for a day or two and start this thing back up. Well, we got back to St. Louis, had a workout. And then I think that evening found out that people in that workout had tested positive. And it just kind of shut us down again. And this time, 
we were in St. Louis, which was much easier. Guys were at home. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you could go out in your yard, you could go for a walk, that kind of thing, protect yourself. But it, it's tough. I mean, it's everybody's got a different situation. The guys that are single have nobody that can help them out. The guys that are, you know, married, you know, what do you do? Do you, you know, can do you quarantine within your own house? Do you, you know, so that's kind of what I did. I sent, I, I, I took over like a little room and, and stayed away. I saw my kids at a distance, <laughs> you know, my wife dropped off food at the threshold kind of thing. So it's just, it was a challenge. And, you know, again, that's 2020. What's new. That's the way it goes. That's been the story this entire year. I, I feel like at every juncture in every piece of life that we could think of, it's been, all right, let's Keep just figure out a way to, to yeah. get through it. Please, let's just get through it. What is, uh, so when you're in the hotel quarantined, you said you're not a, not a big gamer. What does quarantine look like for a 35-year-old baseball dude who doesn't play video games? <laughs> you know, they, they drop food outside of the door, order room service constantly. We had, uh, I think, Fortunately, I'm trying to remember what the golf tournament was. There was a big golf tournament on TV. Uh, you just wore out a seat on the couch. Guys watched a movie. We had uh, some sort of app we could play a poker game kind of virtually throughout. You know, so everybody logged in on their phones. We had 10 <laughs> or 12 guys on that. It just, you know, it kind of just grinds to a halt. I mean, the days are so slow. You, you crack your window and guys sleep. I think everybody handled it differently. But for me, it just kind of found myself in the same spot on the couch and, they delivered baseballs maybe on day six and told us to throw them into our mattress. I, there's kind Stop of Stop it. A, Did you really a, do it? I threw them into some pillows, but I, Flaherty, you know, our stud young pitcher, he lifted up his mattress and you know, made all sorts of room. So it just, I think mentally that was the hardest part, honestly. You know, it, it just, you know, you, you just get worn down, believe it or not, doing absolutely nothing. We all, we need some sort of interaction with other human beings. It, it's funny that you know, wearing a, a face shield and a mask to get COVID tested was like the exciting part of your day. You know, you get on the <laughs> elevator and you get to have like a, a literally a three or four minute chat with a, a trainer or a, you know, a technician or something, a doctor giving you a, a nose swab. So it's a challenge. I think I, I gain an appreciation for what, you know, what people go through in that situation. And it, it's not something I want to do again. That's for sure. At the pace at which we go during a season, 162 games in what, 182 days, 181 days, something like that, we are like usually killing for an off day. I mean, you're looking forward to the next off day 10 days in advance. Like, all right, I'm going to have a Thursday off on the road. I'm going to set up a golf game. I'm going to set up a dinner. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And to have this many off days, quote, in a row <laughs> where you're just sitting in your room and you can't do any of the things that you normally want to do on an off day in baseball, it must feel like just such blue balls. Cause you're just, you're like, I'm supposed to be playing right now. Like this is, I know what I'm supposed to be doing and I can't do it. Well, and there's no end in sight. We don't, you don't know when they're going to let you out. You we kept getting kind of like teases here and there, you know, you call, you call the union, you call, I spent a lot of time talking to John Mozeliak. There's just so much unknown there. And you know, you and I went through it trying to come up with the the plan for this season there was no <laughs> yeah. official number of like if five guys get it or this is the number a day you know there's just none of that and you know if you think back to those conversations we knew so little compared to what we know now and we still have a lot to learn about this virus and how to handle it and what it means but you know it just it, it makes sense that we weren't able to put like you know strict numbers on things but it just the unknown is, is part of the problem just sitting there thinking like well and, and honestly, it came back to bite us because, like I said, we flew home and turns out we had positive players on that flight or, you know, I think a, maybe even a staff member as well. So, you know, it, it's just uh, it's a challenge. I'm glad I'm not in charge of having to make those decisions. But, yeah, just sitting there waiting with no, you know, there there was no light at the end of the tunnel. It was just indefinite until, you know, we had an, enough days without any positive test. The fact that y'all are playing well enough right now to be in playoff consideration, considering you missed that many days in a row, is pretty wild. I mean, like, it's hard to have a couple off days in a row uh, unexpectedly. So to to be able to kind of bring it back and put it back together uh, must feel, like, pretty satisfying for y'all. I've been blown away. I've been impressed. I, I think, honestly, maybe the biggest moment for me was we came back and Wainwright took the ball in game one and Everybody on the bullpen's kind of like, you know, well, what's his pitch count? What's he going to be able to do? He hasn't pitched in, I think, you know, probably 20 days or so at that point. And he went out and he just absolutely dominated. And he went deep and he gave us a chance. I think it set the tone. And like I said, guys, have, you know, we found a way. We completely changed the way we operate at the ballpark and the way, you know, we 
our team had been really big on meetings and spending time on the field and, you know, early work and all that stuff and doing things as a group. And we knew there were adjustments to be made, but we almost went, you know, completely, complete 180 from what we have done historically and guys have found a way. And, you know, I, I just think that that first game coming out and playing well and having our, you know, our starting pitcher, the guy that we all looked up to go out and dominate was just, I think maybe what, what set it off because it could have gone sideways really quick. We had every reason not to be successful. Bueno is, he's crazy to me. I mean, he is so good and has been so good for so long. And every year I'm like, he hangs it up now, right? Like he's, this is the year he retires because he's done all the things that you need to do. Like he's, he's got the resume, like he's, he's done it all. And he comes back and I'm like, oh, um, I don't want to see him fail. Like, come on, man. You're like my favorite. But I don't <laughs> and then he goes out and he does this and he goes out and he throws the ball well over and over again. And he like just knows how to get guys out. And I'm like, how long are you going to do this for? You're going to do this until There's, you're 45. I think he could. There's no inside. He, he threw a complete game on those double headers the other day and got the win. And it's just, you know, and he takes the ball in pressure situation. He begs for it. He says, this, this isn't happening today. This is my day. And it's just, I mean, I think that day back, I'm sure they told him, hey, you got 60 pitches. I don't know what he ended up throwing, but I'm sure he came in the dugout and said, you're not taking me out right now. Not today. Not right now. We need this. I'm doing it. And it it just, it's incredible. I told him earlier this year that he should win the Cy Young. If everybody knew how difficult it is to achieve what what he has this year and what he means to our team, this should be a Cy Young year for him. It's just been that impressive to me. And it's, I'm glad I got the chance to, to play with him and know him. And yeah, I mean, just the, you know, the, the best example of what a major league baseball player should be. One of just the most class acts I've, I've been around him a little bit kind of on the field and then off the field. And man, he, he just, he does it. He like, he walks the walk, he talks the talk, he does the whole thing. And yeah, he's, he's what I think about when I think about like a big leaguer. Um, you've been a lot of different places. You've been, in Detroit, Florida, Boston, New York, Cleveland, even now in St. Louis, how does how does St. Louis stack up against against the rest of these cities? Yeah, uh, you know the Midwest is cool. And you can I'm be honest; Florida. you can you can talk shit about St. Louis if you want to because nobody listens to this, so it's fine. <laughs> I doubt it. I don't know. I, I was blown away. I watched uh, or I listened to the interview you did with Tony Camp, and that was uh, I, I figured did a good job, but that was blown away, and that was deep. That was I I, I don't want to have to meet the expectations of. Uh, <laughs> That podcast, but let's jump um, right into racial justice stuff really quickly. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, but uh, I, I'm sure you have quite the following. If not, it's coming. But you know, the Midwest has been fun. Cleveland and Detroit were really neat. Uh, I'm from Florida, so it's a little different. You know, we've got a little bit of the the Southern hospitality charm kind of thing going. But people are just so nice out there, and it's a uh, you know, it's a slower pace than New York and Boston. You live kind of you know in the suburbs, and you have nice neighbors and a big yard and that kind of stuff. And we've really enjoyed it. You know, St. Louis, the the organization, the team is just first class. It's been a, a great group to be around. Uh, I got really lucky. Mike Schultz, an awesome manager. He really cares about the players. I've been fortunate. You mentioned I've played a lot of places. I think that, you know, I love the idea of having a player in one place for such a long time. A, a Wainwright or a Molina. And yeah. That must be really special to them. But for me, I've been able to experience a lot of all these different places. And, you know, I, I've been able to play with a huge range of players and, and see – you know, a lot of different, you know, the way there's between Baltimore and, and Boston or something like that. And it's been really a, a neat experience for me. I wouldn't change any of it. And honestly, everywhere I've been has been awesome. And, uh, you know, something that I'm appreciative for my career. Pitchers talk a lot about going from the American League to the National League or vice versa, and there being a distinct difference in play. And I feel like in 2020 now, especially because of the DH, but the leagues are really not that different, I feel like. But as a pitcher, do you feel like the mentality is still there where teams in the National League are still trying to play a little bit differently than teams, especially in the AL East where you spend a lot of time? Yeah, I think uh, this year, everything's the same. I mean, there, there is hardly a difference this year. We haven't hardly seen a bunt, I feel like. Whereas Bunts are boring as age, hell. I mean, come on. Like, I'm just going <laughs> to say it. I love baseball. I'm a baseball fan. But, like, nobody wants to see a bunt unless it's like a drag bunt from a leadoff guy just trying to get on base. Like, I don't want to see a pitcher bunt. Yeah, I, and you know, I, I understand pitchers that like to hit and, and whatnot, but I, I'm fully on board. I've never, I would always rather watch a professional hitter than a pitcher hit. You know, but, ask Wayno about it. Ask Wayno's Achilles about it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> at the same time, so he hurt himself hitting, I'm sure, but at the end of the day, he still wants to hit. That's he the loves it. I know. These guys love to hit. 
they go out there and they strike out all the time and they they think they look good, but they, you know, the worst hitting position player looks so much better than the best hitting pitcher. I mean, but, it's not even close, truly. <laughs> so I think this year we've, flashed was a challenge in a lot of ways for me because I hadn't seen the league, but I think as much as anything, it was just entirely a new set of players. You've seen it the last few years. There's so many new guys, you know, as the mm-hmm. game's gotten younger and younger. Yeah. And I've always felt more comfortable. And I feel like I have, you know, essentially an upper hand when I have experience against somebody. That's something that actually works in my advantage. And, you know, I went to a league where I felt like I hardly knew anybody. And uh, I feel like that was the challenge. The the pitcher coming out because his spot in the lineup comes up is always something. You know, you want to talk about something that really irritates a guy in the bullpen is, no you know, well, all right, we're down two, but if we get to a spot, we're going to hit for him. And he's only at 60 pitches or something like oh that. That's God. uh there's not many things that uh that frustrate you more than than that. So nice to see that go. I think ultimately it's it's good for the game. I'm sure there'll be some people, some of the old timey guys that, you know, will rue the day of the, the hitting pitcher that could move guys over and get get down a pretty sack bunt. But I'm all for the uh the the DH in both leagues. I was talking to Lance the other day and we were reminiscing about the one time we were in the locker room and Reddick was just talking shit. He was talking shit about what she does all the time. And I, I mean, you, you know, Josh and I, I love Josh, but like he loves to talk shit. And we were talking about it and he was, he was saying, you know, Oh, pitchers, pitchers suck. Pitchers are the worst hitters in the league. Like we, nobody needs pitchers to hit when nobody needs. And uh, Lance just kind of slowly in the corner. I'll just raise. He said, uh, can I just get a show of hands for people who have a uh, world series RBI? And everybody <laughs> just kind of looked around and Lance kind of slipped his hand up and Reddick just kind of stood up and said, you can go to hell, Lance, and just walked off, walked into <laughs> the bathroom. <laughs> but the anomalies like that are the things that people like, they love to go back to the Bartolo home runs, you know, the things that yeah. once in a, you know, once in a season, once in a career things, but on a daily basis, like, I don't want to see Lance hit. God bless Lance. Like he's got some juice, but like, I don't want to see him hit. I don't. Yeah. I, I'm with you a hundred percent. It's uh. I guess it's exciting when they actually come through, but they don't come through very often. <laughs> Doesn't and it just kills you when you often. give up a hit to a pitcher. There's nothing worse than giving up a hit oh, to a pitcher. Oh, no. I I, uh, I got my first hit ever off of Kershaw, and I was like, I'm set. Like, I'm set for life. I don't need to hit anymore. I'm good. Like, I'll end it here. And literally the next inning, I came, in, came up with a guy, two guys on, two outs. Kershaw took me deep left center, and I was like, oh. He, like, went backside on me, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> this is the worst feeling in the world. Like this, we should get rid of this for sure. Definitely. It's over <laughs> now. And I've never been a fan of it ever since. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your early career. Um, Cause you've got a unique, unique story in a lot of ways, big time prospect coming out of high school or coming out of college, excuse me, I'm coming out of North Carolina and uh, you were a starting pitcher and you, I think most people that know you now know you as a reliever because you've been a reliever for the past, uh, what, eight, seven, eight years. But you came into the league, A, really early. I mean, you had, what, three weeks in the minor leagues after uh, after the draft before you got in the big leagues? Yeah, I threw in three games in the Florida State League. I threw five innings out of the bullpen and came up. And uh, it was a unique situation. It was kind of back when there were major league contracts for draft picks. You, you know, you're put on the roster. So I was already on the roster. I was lights out in those five innings. I think the, the tantalizing idea that some you know young kid would come up and throw hard and and make a splash in the playoffs was something worth, you know, looking into for the, that Tigers team. And for me, it was, you know, maybe not the the best thing for my career, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was awesome. I mean, anytime you can get to the major leagues, you take it and you never, you know, you never complain about it, but I got to join a team that was full of veterans and, and successful. They went all the way to the world series. They lost to the Cardinals actually, but yeah, it was, uh, quite the ride. I mean, I, you know, most guys get to, you, you kind of work your way up and you start to get a feel, you get into a spring training and that type of thing. And I kind of skipped through all that. And, uh, I definitely went back and paid some dues in the minor leagues later on, but it was a, a pretty wild ride there for a while. That's an extremely unique situation in a lot of ways, but having the, uh, was JV on that team at the time? Was Verlander on the, on that Tigers team? Yeah. So that was his, uh, that was his rookie year. He was rookie of the year that year. Okay, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I think his rookie year, they went to the World Series, and he's he's told me a lot of stories about like that whole team and coming in and trying to like fit in. But he was like, you know, the guy coming in, and another guy who threw really hard coming in out of out of college, and 
knew how to pitch though. Like came in, knew how to pitch. Did you throw really, really hard at the time? And they were like, this is it. I mean, this is like, um, so I, I could throw hard. And I, I mean, I, you know, compared to, you know, most college pitchers, I certainly threw hard, but I didn't throw like Justin. And I think that was one of the challenges I had when I got to the big leagues, not necessarily the first year, but the second year I came up as a starter, I worked my way up a little bit and I, I pitched really well in the minor leagues. And you looked at Justin and here's this big, strong righty throwing four seam fastballs and a big curveball, And he was having a lot of success. And, you know, the Tigers at the time were kind of known for drafting hard throwing guys. That was their thing. And, uh, I got up and probably the hardest thing on me at the start of my career was I got up because I was pitching well. And then I, I, I had all this confidence and then, you know, you know how it is. You get to the big leagues, you get, you're going to get humbled pretty quickly. It, it doesn't oh, yeah. take long, you know? And as soon as you start not having success, start hearing it from guys, coaches and stuff. And, and they're not wrong by saying like, Hey, you just don't know who you are yet. You got to learn this and do that. But I think that shook my confidence a lot. And there was a lot of thought process that I should probably pitch more like Justin. Like if I, if I, if I have the ability to throw 94 or 95, it's going to create more room for error than trying to throw 92, 93, which I was kind of the way I got myself there. I, I could reach back and get mid upper nineties for a strikeout here or there. If I want to throw a four seam, but I was throwing a lot of sinkers at a little cutter that they eventually took away from me. But developmental developmentally, it was really tough because even if it was the right thing to do, I took it as a, Hey, maybe I'm not as good as I thought, or maybe I've got a long ways to go. And that was a challenge. And I, I think that that's the amazing thing to me is when I see guys come up and have success right away and, and sustain it, like that's mind blowing to me because I got kicked around for a while and it's, uh, you know, how it is. it's not fun to be out there when you're not doing well. It's a, it's, it's truly it's a the worst place on the mound. It's, yeah. it's, there's no, I always say there's no worse feeling than being bad at your job and especially being bad at your job in front of lots and lots of people. Yeah, not many people get critiqued in the paper the next day for having a, a so-so or rough day at work. Oh my God. But like, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, it was all, it was a great experience, but yeah, results wise, I struggled. And, and I think that Justin, I, I like Justin. I got along with him. I communicated a lot with him, tried to learn from him and, and what he went through, but trying to be somebody else, I think also, you know, it was a real challenge for me. And I, I ran into that during my time with the Marlins is we had another couple of big righties that, that threw hard. And actually by then they threw sinkers. And I, I said, Josh Johnson and Chris Molstad yeah. and yeah. Um, trying to say, all right, well, they throw this way. It, they're doing really well. It's working for them. You know, what's, what can you do that mimics that? And uh, I, I think that kind of derailed me and, and, you know, gave me a bunch of speed bumps in my career. But at the same time, it's just a process. It, it's, getting to that point where you do find out who you are, what makes you successful or, or what, you know, what your mechanics look like and your adjustments are and all that. It, it's just a process. And some guys it takes longer than others. I, I'm just really fortunate. I got so lucky that, you know, people vouched for me and stood up for me and, and, and kept giving me opportunities when, you know, probably a lot of guys might not have anymore. You've had enough success in your career at this point that I don't think people would ever question it, but there were points, like you just said, in your career where I think that you have to be—you have to be looking at yourself in the mirror, thinking, "Can I do this? Am I really like? Am I really going to be able to make a career out of this?" And coming from North Carolina, where you were so good, and coming high in the draft and being in the in the big leagues quickly—I mean, were there times where you just thought, "I don't—I just don't know. Like, I don't know if this is it for me." Oh, there's been tons of them. I think uh, early on, yeah, it's, you know, I think at first I kind of bought into the, you know, it just takes a while. You got to pay your dues. You got to go back and maybe. Guys tell you that all the time. I mean, early on yeah. in your career, especially in the big leagues, guys are like, oh, you just got to pay your dues. You'll, you'll get here eventually. They're like, ah, don't worry about it, man. You'll be, you'll be fine. Just got to, you, you got to get your shit kicked in like for how, how long? I don't know. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I've heard, you know, you got to throw 500 innings or you got to do this or do that or, you know, whatever it is. And you know, the reality is everybody's different. And, you know, I think I just, I never gave up. I probably got pretty close sometimes. You know, I had a year in 2010 with my last year with the Marlins that it just started off on the wrong foot. I, I got to the point where I had a weird contractual thing and, you know, the Marlins submitted the numbers and we looked at them and they were funny and it just, you know, there was like wrong math and there was a disagreement on like what numbers should be used because of my major league contract and all this stuff. And I hadn't been pitching well. And it just like, it started off on the wrong foot. And I literally was 
probably the worst player on a double A team. I had, I don't know, a year and a half of major league service. Like I, I'm not that far removed from being, yeah, the, the guy in college that was, you know, top pick potentially in this and that. And I just remember, you know, it was interesting. I ended up on the double A team for some reason. And it was outside of it, the team was Jacksonville, but my wife's parents had a condo on the beach out there. And it was like, I don't know. The year was just absolutely horrific on the baseball field for the most part, <laughs> but it was a fun team. There were a lot of guys end up being pretty darn good. Uh, a guy named Mike Stanton that now goes by John Carlo was on the team. Yeah. Who's that? And, uh, it was just such a grind, but I don't know. I just, I, I wasn't ready. And I, I just kept just working every day. I, I for the longest time, I threw two bullpens between every start, just beating my head against the wall. Like, it's going to click. It's going to come. It's going to happen. And, you know, I think that for most of us, that's what it takes. I'm sure that's your experience. I mean, there's the guys that don't go through that. Those are the Hall of Famers. And the and, and I'm sure they would still say, hey, it's, you know, it's not as easy as I made it look. But, you know, you mentioned Verlander earlier. So he won rookie of the year. I think he lost like 17 games in 2007. So he went from like, Hey, and you know, Justin, I mean, confident oh dude, God. like he probably thought he was like, you know, they're, they're carving out my bus for Cooperstown right now. And then he went out the next year and lost 17 games, I think. So it, it's just this game, just, I don't know why we do it. Sometimes it just beats you up and, and, you know, it, it'll kick you in the nuts and piss you off and, and you're going to want to like crawl into a tiny little hole. But for whatever reason, you know, we keep going back and, you know, you said the worst place in the world to be is, you know, being a bad pitcher on a, on a mound, but I don't know that there's anything that beats being successful walking off a major league mound. When you like, there's, there can't be a drug that gives you that high of when you went out and did your job, whether that was getting a major league win or, or getting a big out or helping win a series or whatever, like that feeling of, of like quieting a crowd on the road is just, it's unbeatable. And that's, I think that's why, at least for me, I keep going back. I will argue this until the damn dead, but like baseball is the best game ever. Because it is so complicated and it is predicated on the fact that people will be bad. Somebody's got to be bad and the other team has to, will end up beating them because one of the teams is usually worse. And it's usually not that, you usually don't get these like slugfests where it's like 10 to 9 and both teams are really good and everybody's done kind of their job. And even in those games, like the pitchers have been ass, you know, they've been shit. And like in every game, you depending on who you're rooting for, like there is a distinct winner and a distinct loser. And I think that that is a drug in itself. Like now being away from the game, I kind of crave it, you know? Like I kind of look back and I'm like, I like the feedback, getting the feedback every day of knowing whether I've done a good job or I've done a bad job. And it keeps pushing you and it keeps pushing you. And I think that baseball is the only game that you can play for 162 games. Like I think I think it would be the only one that you could do this for that long because, you know, similar to golf, which a lot of baseball players also like, you hit a lot of bad shots and you do a lot of bad things around the course. But like the couple things that you do well, you're like, this is it. This is the one I want to come back for. Like this is right. the thing so, that's going to keep me doing this. Yeah. How many golfers, you know, go out and shoot 110, but go, you know, sign up for the next weekend because they hit that one shot. And I, yeah. I'm with you. Baseball is the same. It's, you know, if you've made that one pitch on a big league mound, I, I got to get that feeling again. I've got to, I've got to have that sensation one more time. And yeah, at some point it, it, it's taken away from, you know, I have no idea how I'll react. It probably won't be good, but you know, it's, it, it's, you know, that's what I live for. That's the most fun thing. You know, that's the best feeling on the planet. And as long as it's out there, I'm going to go for it. Now as a major league pitcher, you've done probably more things than the average guy. You have been a starter. You've got almost 70 starts in your career. I was looking it up. Um, you've got tons of middle relief appearances. You've got a, a good amount of games finished and not just games finished, but games finished in big time situations and playoff situations and on big teams and big crowds. Do you have an opinion on, because most guys do, most bullpen guys do on roles and how roles affect the way players are able to perform? I do. And I think the, the best example I have of it is the time I was in New York, my first year. So Batances was there, you know, so David Robertson had filled in after Mariana left and D Rob had a, a great run there with the Yankees. The White Sox offered him, or I think maybe the Yankees actually signed me before the, you know, anyways. So Dellen and I going to spring training, Dellen's been like just the best reliever in baseball the last few years. And 
Striking out a zillion I, people a year, doing the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, throwing 80, 90 innings. Yeah, just, I mean, absolute most intimidating guy on the planet. And I think Girardi had this idea in mind that like, hey, I got a righty and a lefty, and we'll just, we'll match up. We'll eighth and ninth inning, depending on what the lineup looks like, or you know, maybe who's done a little bit better or something. And we both pitched well at the start of the year, and he never you know, designated one or the other. But it seemed like we were just kind of held back. Like it, it was confusing. And I, for whatever reason, it, it kind of like clicked at some point and I ended up, you know, being the, the closer. I don't even know if Girardi ever said I was the closer, <laughs> but it, it he didn't sit you down. A, he didn't sit you down and say like, all right, I know we've done this experiment, but like you're the guy I'm going to call if it's a game in the ninth inning. You know, he talked to us, I want to say, you know, maybe right when we left camp or, you know, right when we got up to New York to start the season and said, hey, like, this is my plan to, you know, basically, I love both you guys and I'm going to give you the best met- matchups possible. And I bet it wasn't a week or two. And it was just kind of like, it, this isn't running as smoothly as it should. You know, it, it's, you run into the point where guys are thinking, all right, well, if this guy gets the last out, it's me or I'm, I'm, I'm getting hot for this situation. And then the guy that's on the mound gets out of it. And now the other guy's hot and you, you end up with a lot of, you know, everybody's got to love the term, the dry hump. And, uh, Oh yeah. I think it just kind of, it, it clicked that like, we just be better off. Like, I don't care if it's all righties and, and Dylan gets all lefties. Like if you have guys you have confidence in, just let them pitch and let them set a routine around that. And it'll make all the difference in the world. So I am a believer in it. I, you know, so I went, I got traded to Cleveland and, you know, it's part of this big trade. I had closed in New York and this and that. And, you know, Tito did an awesome job, but we had pretty set roles and Cody Allen was still the closer. And, you know, I think it takes the right guys. You got to know personalities. And, you know, I mentioned Cody, I mentioned Dallin, like those guys, they're selfless and, and they did a really good job of not making it about them and, and what's, what's the best for the team. And, you know, you, you admire that, but I think those are the guys you want. So it's maybe not always that cut and dry. Probably one of the more successful times I've seen it bounce around. When I was in Baltimore, Darren O'Day and I kind of took maybe the seventh and eighth innings, and it was just based on matchup. But at the same time, Britton was the closer. He had the last three outs, last four outs, whatever it was at the time. And, uh, you know, so I am a believer in it. I, I think that you could potentially, if you have guys in the minor leagues pitching, in all sorts of roles and you're using them in that, you know, fireman role as your best reliever and stuff. Maybe you can kind of change it, but you know, the, the world that you and I came up in and I'm a big believer. I, th- I think that letting guys have that comfort level, letting them have that routine is going to help them be successful. I didn't realize this until I got to the bullpen in 2018 because I had not spent a good amount of time down there, like a whole season, but the, Stress that a reliever has to go through in a given game, if you don't have a defined role, if you're not the closer, if you're not the closer, if you're not Cody Allen, if you're not Aroldis Chapman, if you're not whoever, that you know you're getting the ball in the ninth inning, period. Every, literally every out that is made, you're like counting down the outs until you get to that 24th, 25th out and you're like into the ninth inning. And it is so stressful over the long haul. In a, in a given game, you can do it. It's fine. In a given week, you could do it. But over the course of a half a season or a couple months or something, like if you have a stretch of games where there's a lot where you're maybe in, maybe out, you're getting dry humped here, you're getting dry humped there, you're in the game where you didn't expect to be in the game, like mentally, it is exhausting. And I think that's where those roles start to start to play play into the success that guys are able to have. It's not necessarily that one guy is better in the seventh inning or the eighth inning. It doesn't really matter. Like those are those are arbitrary uh, innings for a guy to pitch in. But a guy to know, I can kind of shut it off. I can turn off the switch until we get to this time in the game. It has to be like has to be worth something, right? I think that's absolutely. I I do, I do think that the ninth inning is a little bit different. You know. Your name is kind of on the line. You know, you're the one that's got to talk to the media if it doesn't go well. Uh, you know, there's something to be said. I think the at bats change a little bit. The umpires probably change a little bit. The zone might get a little tighter. But the more guys, to me, if I were ever able to play manager, the more guys that have a role, the the less amount of time you have people stressing out when they don't need to be stressed out. So, if all you have is a closer and then you have six or seven other guys that are literally having a heart attack every time the the starting pitcher, you know, stretches his hamstring or, 
those guys, like you said, they're just exhausted. And if you can work your way back, okay, well, this guy's the eighth inning or this guy's the right hander that you know, gets, gets ground balls. This is my life. The more you can piece it together so that, you know, when the phone rings, guys have a pretty good idea. I think the better off you're going to be. And yeah, it just, if you have to sit out there for 162 games thinking at any moment you're in the game, it's a challenge and it's just not the, not setting yourself up for success. It's exhausting. I remember I was the sixth or seventh <laughs> inning guy or the first or second inning guy for half the season in 2018. And the whole year, you I had was a great like, year though. I had a, I had the best year I've ever had. I think it's because I had to be, I was like testing the limits of how locked in I could be on a given day. <laughs> like, you know, as a starting pitcher, like if it's not your day, this game starts and you check out, like I'm done. I'm go, you know, the game's over. I eat, I go home. I like hang out with my wife, hang out with my kids. I go straight to sleep. No problem. When I was a reliever. Oh my God. The, if when the 27th out happened, I was like, now I finally get to like check out and it might be 11 o'clock at night, depending on the game. And so it was, I was two o'clock in the morning before I could actually like wind down and go to bed. And over the course of a season like that takes its toll on you and I, I was able to have some success but still I remember telling people like this is no joke like it's it's a straight offensive lineman standpoint like you get no credit as a middle reliever but you better put in the work because if you get exposed like you could have 12 good outings in a row but you're gonna have to talk to the media on that 13th one where you give up the homer in the tie game in the sixth inning it's the only time they talk to you yeah oh my god and you've had speaking of the media you've had uh, enough experience under your belt talking to media. You understand how it works. Do you do you get frustrated with them when they come over to you? You know they're going to come over to you. You're like sitting on your phone. You're already dressed. You're showered. You see them in their little scrum in the corner. And then at, this is not 2020, but like in former years. Are you like, I know you're going to come over here, but I don't want to talk to you, but I'm going to. I think that's always been my approach. You know, at the time, yeah, it's the last thing, you know, you want to go home. You want to, like, some days you want to crawl into a little hole. You want to get out of there because they're not coming over there to talk to you, you know, and you strike out two and you have a clean inning or something like that. They, they couldn't care less. And, you know, you got to relive it and you got to take the blame. But I just feel like if you give them the time of day and, and you give them the, you know, professional courtesy and stand up there and just take your medicine, they'll treat you better in the long haul. And I've played in a couple markets that are known to be bad and, and, Granted, I was never, you know, a star or anything like that. But, you know, I just felt like in, in, if you gave them the time of day, you got to know them, you treated them well, they gave you the benefit of the doubt and they kind of, in some ways, protected you. So try to always take it that way. Just, you know, take your medicine, suck it up, get it over with, because if you don't, they're just going to make it worse on you. Without a doubt. I mean, New York and Boston have notorious reputations when it comes to media, but you know, I've I've had the pleasure of being able to get to know some of the people in both of those cities um, and in Houston. And it's true, like they are human beings. And if you treat them like human beings and you treat them with professionalism that they try and treat you with, like at the end of the day, they are the ones who are writing the stories about you. And they are the ones who are putting out the tweets about you and kind of gaining the momentum or like they can, I mean, they can build you up or tear you down really, really quickly. And you know, unfortunately, your reputation is is in their hands a lot of times. Yeah, and if their last uh, experience with you is that you stood them up or you gave them, you know, horrible one word answers, even if it's subconsciously, they they might bury you in the paper and make it even worse on you. It's really true. Uh, you mentioned managers earlier, and I I know that you played for Terry Francona twice. You played for him in Boston. Um, which was a unique time for you because that was one of the times where you came in as a starter from Miami, correct? And then transitioned to the bullpen, but that was after you were non-tendered. Is that, is that true? Yeah. So the Red Sox traded for me a, a weird, like not a, a big time trade, you know, trade rumors would have gone to the bottom of the page really quick. Got traded for Dustin Richardson. And when I got traded, I had, you know, I mentioned that contract I had, I had some funny stuff in my contract with the Marlins. I was also out of options. And so oddly it wasn't, it couldn't have been more than a week or two later, you know, get a call from my agent and basically says, Hey, the Red Sox are going to non-tender you. Said, why, why'd they trade for me? <laughs> and kind of went through the process of, all right, well, okay. So now I'm a free agent, but Boston wanted me, you know, obviously they went out and got me. I got to, you know, at the time, Ben Sherrington was an assistant GM to Theo. And 
I guess Ben, for whatever reason, was the guy that kind of said, let's target Miller, let's go get him, whatever. And I was able to kind of dip my toes in the water, but it, it became pretty clear that I was going to get a really good minor league deal from the Red Sox. Maybe I had some other opportunities where like the, you know, the, the depth chart was a little thinner than Boston or, or whatnot, but I had a place that believed in me and was going to give me, you know, I think a lot of the stuff I needed to kind of write the ship. And I was, I was on the precipice of, of this not working out. This is, I, I'm going to have to call back my you know college advisor and, and figure out, you know, what the next step in my life is. <laughs> but for me, that was like the best decision I've probably made in baseball was, or luckiest place I've ended up was just that experience I had in Boston. I ended up in a great place. It worked out well. I went, I started my first year. I started in Pawtucket. Uh, I pitched pretty well, kind of locked it in as I had an out coming up, which is where I could have basically said, all right, if you're not going to call me up to the major leagues, I'm going to become a free agent again. And basically forced them to put me on the roster. I pitched pretty well for a while. I had a couple of things got buried in the bullpen. You mentioned earlier the the being the starting pitcher put out in the bullpen for a time or two is usually you're kind of the forgotten man. You, you pitch when the starter gets hurt oh, yeah. first, you're down by 20 and not a good place to be. But going to an organization that, you know, I was no longer the guy that had headlined a big trade that was supposed to be a prospect. I, I was just, you know, a guy on the roster. And if I could help the team win, I was a, a positive factor. And that's all that mattered. You know, the, the media wasn't going to talk to me. You know, there were plenty of big names in Boston to distract them from. And it just ended up being a great fit with a lot of great people. And uh, I think, you know, probably the turning point in my career is just ending up with that organization. Did Tito contact you when you were trying to make the decision of whether to come back to, whether to sign back with Boston after you were non-tendered? And, and if so, like, did he, I mean, obviously when you're going from the bullpen or from the starting rotation to the bullpen, the manager plays a big role because he's the one who's going to call your name and say like, Hey, you're in at this point in time. But what was y'all's relationship like at that point? Yeah. I mean, he had a lot going on, but he was really good to me. And, you know, like I said, I'll rave about everybody there. Everybody there was so good, but for as tough of a year as that was on that organization, you know, we had that huge September collapse and, you know, I, I certainly didn't help down the stretch, but he was very positive, and I think that's what I needed, and that's what a lot of people had there. So I, I got up there, and you know that whole that belief in you know can I find success, can I sustain myself at this level? He was just big at, at on you know he put his arm around you and saying like you got this, I believe in you, and in his way of doing it, which is you know Tio is pretty special in communicating. <laughs> it's uh, but. I think that just went a long ways. And it, it uh, you know, even though I had a couple bad starts at the end of the end of the year, you know, the fact that, you know, Hey, this, this didn't go the way we wanted to, but you know, you got a bright future. You, you're, you're going the right direction. How far that went for me at the time was huge. And Tio's is just so good at that with guys and putting a positive light on things. And I think appreciating how hard the game is and how much work it takes and how many things have to go right for you to, to find that success because, Honestly, that was his career. And, uh, you know, for him to to do that and to to take interest in me when, honestly, like I was probably the 25th most important guy on that roster for a while. You know, there were literally 24 guys that were more likely to contribute that night than me. But, you know, there was an interest in, in making sure that, you know, my career was going the right direction. They were going to help me and that I was going to help the Red Sox in a, a growing capacity, hopefully. Did that relationship help when you got traded over to Cleveland in 2016 and made that made that run to the World Series? I mean, arguably, I would say obviously your probably best three month stretch in your career, but arguably one of the best stretches of reliever pitching in in baseball history. I think that I went over there and I knew what kind of clubhouse Tito was going to have, which is very loose. Um, you know the you don't want to say the players run it, but it, it's just, there's something he does. And, and I've seen clubhouses run a completely different way and be successful as well. But I think I knew what I was getting into, even though I didn't really know too many guys over there. I'm trying to remember, I, you know, Napoli was there and that might've been it that I had any sort of relationship with. But I, I just think having, you know, going into his office and having a familiar face and, and having him, you know, kind of set you up and set the tone went a long ways. And Again, you know, I talk about how lucky I've been. Like, I ended up in, on a team that was just special with a group of guys that I made friendships over there in the time that I was in Cleveland that I think will last my lifetime. It's just such a good group. And 
you know, there's a reason that team was successful. And, and, you know, I think Tito probably deserves most credit just for starting that. The, the, the culture that a manager can, I think that's the difference they make more so than deciding, you know, when to steal, you know, between, you know, bullpen management and, and, and setting the culture of a, a team and knowing what your personalities are. Tito is just so good at that. Yeah. I remember talking to John Smoltz and him talking about Bobby Cox and, the amount of times that you make a decision on the field that is just a guaranteed this is the right move, it's slim as a manager. There's all you're always cutting both ways. Like if you put one guy in, you're not putting another guy in. If you pinch hit one guy, you're not pinching hitting another guy. And you know the result of that immediately, whether it's a success or a failure. So it's hard to get a manager in the big leagues who has a just stellar reputation all the way through in terms of game management. Because you're going to win and you're going to lose games based on what you do. But it's the clubhouse atmosphere and kind of the culture like you talked about that's being set that I think distinguishes managers one from another. And you've played for quite a few at this point in time. You, you mentioned Schilt because he was an interesting guy to me when they made that hire in, in St. Louis because he wasn't necessarily the sexy name. He wasn't necessarily the guy that's got all of the experience in the world that's going to bring in. But his reputation within the organization seemed to be outstanding is that, is that what you've felt being around there yes i have an interesting kind of tie back to schilt in the sense that you know so when i was a free agent going into last year looking for a place to play find out that st louis is a, a possible suitor he was the travel ball coach for some of my college teammates some of my good friends in college. and you know not long after they came to college he decided hey i want to try my hand at pro ball and just a real like kind of a baseball lifer kind of guy. And I think that he took a, a job as like a scout or something and really wanted to coach, but that, that that was the opening they had at the time. And anyways, so I'm looking at St. Louis and I have college buddies calling me and, and saying, Hey, like if this St. Louis stuff's real, like Schultz, you know, he's awesome. We had him as this, like, you know, to your point, I think that when Matheny was let go, you know, Schultz was the obvious and he's your bench coach. He becomes the manager. But he had so much success, and he just moved up so fast, and the players embraced him. The guys had him in the minor leagues. When he took over, they had success at the major league level. And uh, the St. Louis job has got to be one of the top two, three, four jobs in baseball for a manager. And, yeah, you think usually that goes to you know the, the big sexy name, you know, who, who, who's currently out there that everybody's going after. And at the same time, if you, if you know him and you watch him work, you know that you know, he's perfect for the job and, and deserving. And, uh, he's done an awesome job. It's a it's a really neat story, and you know I, I hope more people get to hear it because it's uh it, it's really fun to be part of. Being from Atlanta, I I've seen the same thing kind of play out in Atlanta with Brian Snicker, who was also not the sexy name when he came in, not the guy who was necessarily going to be the next pick to be the Braves manager. I feel like the, there's three jobs in the in the National League that are if you get them like. This is the job, and it's St. Louis, Chicago, and Atlanta. You know, I would say I would put San Francisco in there as well. But like these big, big baseball towns, old baseball teams, teams that have had success, teams that expect to have success. And so, when you bring a manager in, like you really need them to perform and to to set that culture immediately. And it kind of makes sense that guys like Schilt, guys like Snicker, who have been in the culture that has been winning for a long time would kind of step into a role like that. But from the outside, you kind of, it's its not necessarily the most exciting pick, right, for fans, but it works. Well, and the, the big name, I think, it just, it adds to, you mentioned places that have, you know, big media or big fan bases that therefore you have the big media. You know, I had Bobby V in Boston and it was just, I mean, right out of the gates, you know, it, it was, I don't know what you call it, but you know, Bobby V was great for me. I, I honestly like that was, you, know, you mentioned, you know, my time under Tito and the, you know, I got my real transition to the bullpen was the 2012 year. Bobby V was the manager in Boston <laughs> and trust me, a lot went wrong a lot. It was not a smooth sailing year, but for me in the bullpen, it was great. And the way he handled me and the way that, you know, I got pitched and, and the positivity that he personally gave me, you know, our season that year was a, disaster it didn't go well but at the same time you know you throw a big name like that and a big personality into a big market and it just seems like it may be easier to kind of okay well maybe we didn't give you the big sexy name 
but we're here. This is all business. There's not, you know, there is no sideshow. There's no, you know, and David Ross has done great so far in Chicago, but it just seems like, you know, those big personalities, there's more uh, room for combustion, things to kind of explode and blow up. And if you find the right guy, lock them down, take them, make them, give them the job. That's true. And, you know, at this point in your career, you've had a lot of successes, but you've also, like you mentioned, had had quite a few failures in baseball, which anybody who's been around for as long as you have has, has experienced it. But I think the way that you've experienced it, uh, both coming onto the scene so quickly and then, like you said, having to kind of work your way into teams after that, I think makes you probably a little bit more aware of what a game like this does to your your psyche and your, your mentality. Um, what have you learned from both your successes and your failures at this point in baseball? Because there is something to be said for making yourself a more well-rounded person in general through these things. And I, I, I having my um, experience with you so far, it feels like you're a pretty well-rounded person. And I, I would assume that these things definitely play into it. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I hope I am. Uh, yeah, I, I think that, you know, you probably hear a lot, but it, to me, it rings true. I've probably learned a lot more from my failures and, and how I've handled them. And I can look back and I don't think I was immature as a, a 21 year old compared to my peers, but I've definitely matured a lot. And I think that, you know, those times when I was really struggling and things were really tough coming through that and, and sticking it out and, and just grinding and, and finding a way to not give up and make it work and keep thinking that somehow spin all that negative at the end of the night when you lay your head on the pillow or when you go into work the next day that this is positive. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to find what it is. I'm going to, you know, something's going to click or I'm going to get better today. You know, is something that translates to everything in your life. There's that that's always going to apply to whatever's going on in your life. And I think that it's just a game that humbles you. You learn maybe not to get too, uh, too high on your horse or, 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 you know, stay on that soapbox too often because, it'll beat you down as soon as you get to that point. And how many times do you think, all right, I got it figured out for today. And you know, that, that night doesn't so go well many, very often. So many times. So I, I think that, you know, you mentioned the failures a couple of times. It's, uh, it's still worth it or we wouldn't do it or we wouldn't, you know, wouldn't keep doing it. And I, I hope that I've been able to take some of my experiences and, and, you know, as I've kind of become an older guy in a, a clubhouse, pass it on to some of these younger guys and hope, that they maybe you know understand that it's not the end of the world when something didn't go your way. You know, be ready tomorrow, or, or you know, these are experiences I went through, and maybe they won't be as hard on you because you can relate or that kind of thing. So, I I can look back and see how much I've grown, and I I think I've become better for it. Are you a are you a big hazing guy? Did you get hazed early on? You don't you don't you don't strike me as the hazing guy. So like I want to know. <laughs> I. I don't think I am. Uh, I, I try to take it pretty easy on the guys. I didn't get hazed very hard. It's funny you mentioned Verlander because I think when I went into that Detroit clubhouse, the expectation was, you know, Justin's got a big personality and you know he came up and dominated. He rookie of the year, so hundred miles an hour, yeah. you know, threw a no hitter and you know one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. He threw that no. He was hitting a hundred two of the ninth inning of his no hitter. <laughs> That's completely normal. Uh, but I think there was so much attention on like he and, you know, Zumaya was the big name throwing 105 miles an hour. And the expectation that it was that I was going to come to that clubhouse and be like just a huge personality. And, you know, I think I did a good job of, of trying to, you know, don't speak unless spoken to. And I certainly made some mistakes. I, I wore the wrong shoes to the clubhouse and that yep. type of thing. I, I think Todd Jones tied my shoes up in the Metrodome and, threw them over like one of the pipes about 30 feet up in the air because they were, uh, they didn't meet his standards of what I should be wearing to the, the field uh, at the time. Um, but it, you know what, that was such an awesome team to come into. And Jim Leland was the manager. We had guys with so much, I mean, I think there were probably seven or eight guys with more than 15 years of service time on that team. It was incredible. And it was a winning team. I, I think going into a winning culture, you know, the idea is, Hey, you know, the, the rookies need to, you know, carry the beer bag, get the bullpen bag ready. And, you know, I'm going to give them a hard time, but we also, you know, they're here to help us win. We're trying to win a world series and, you know, got to go out to dinner all the time. And, and, you know, the, the same guy that might yell at you for having the wrong, you know, type of gummy bears in the bullpen bag also, you know, is it, showing you how he holds his slider and talking to you about how he prepares for the game and, and what it takes. And, uh, 
I think that even though I, I didn't maybe get to take off in Detroit, I got traded away in that off season after my you know first full season. Really, the amount that I learned from that group, you know, was incredible. I, one of my favorite experiences in baseball is the starting pitchers for that team. There was the guy on the mound, and the other four guys all sat on the same bench and watched the game and just talked about it the entire time. And just the amount I learned listening to Kenny Rogers, Justin Verlander is, is just I. I might not have been ready to apply it, but Kenny Rogers was drawn on a piece of paper right in the dirt, you know, during a game. And, you know, just again, lucky to be there and just, I've caught a lot of breaks and I think that's what it takes. I'm, this is my like mental disconnect here because I'm with you. Like I, I'm fully anti hazing. I think it's, I think it's garbage. I think it's stupid. I don't think it does a whole lot, but when it happened to me when I was coming up, you're right. Like guys would shit on me in one breath and then the next breath, like help me out with my career and like kind of bring me along. And sitting here now, like 10 years later, I'm like, it did help. It actually did help. But the amount of times of guys who like didn't make it as far as I am or weren't as lucky enough to, to get to where I am, to be able to have that perspective, you just look like a dick if you do that. So I'm, I, I take it upon myself to like put my arm around young guys and be like, it's going to be okay, man. Like, I know you're overwhelmed. I know everything feels like you're doing it wrong right now, but like, just, just relax. Just like you're just do your job. There's a right way to do it. And if you do it right, it's almost endearing. And you know, it's funny. One of the guys that was probably the guy that was hardest on me was a guy on the bullpen, Jamie Walker. And he was hard on me. Like, in the way that like I'm picking on the rookie and it's funny to everybody else. And he's doing like, I'm running back and forth across the field or whatever it is. But you know what, when I got called up, so I got called up from a ball. Those guys didn't know, like so nobody gave me advice on what to do. He called my hotel room and was like, meet me in the lobby. I wouldn't have known what to wear to the field that I wouldn't have known how to get to the field. I probably would have ridden the bus and gotten aired out. So like he gave me a heads up and walked me through all that stuff. And one-on-one, it was incredible. Like I, I learned so much. And at the same time, if there were more guys around, if there were five or six other guys on the team around, he was just wearing me out. And, <laughs> you know, it was like, I, you know, I had to make sure I had to serve him, you know, Bud Heavy's on the bus. And, and, you know, if, the stadium didn't have Bud Heavies. That wasn't their fault. That was my fault. That was that your was fault. Correct. Yeah. And uh, at this, you know, you, you get an appreciation for you know routines and why things are done that way. And you know, maybe it, it's hard or it's embarrassing or it's funny to everybody else. But if they put their arm around you and they teach you the rest of the time, that's part of what makes you a, a team. That's you know, they wouldn't pick on you if they didn't love you. I think that's probably the the first sign that you're not fitting in is. When when nobody is talking to you and messing with you, that's the, it's. There's definitely over the line, and I'm with you 100 percent on that. I, and I'm glad we've seen a lot of that go away. But I, I I did my dressing up. I did that a couple times, and if you do it right, it, it, it's funny. You know, it, yeah. it's a it's a good experience, and it it's a positive memory if it's done right. If all of these things are in the spirit of building the team and building like the player from his career standpoint, if that's what your goal is going into it, then like, it's going to be fine. You're going to do it right. Like guys are going to get over it. Guys are not going to take things too personally, but if it like becomes truly mean spirited, like in, in the old days, it truly was like, this guy's about to take my job. So like, I'm going to make his life as shitty as possible. And I think that definitely, by the time I got into the league, that had, that had pretty much changed. Like guys were just doing it more because it had been done to them. And they thought this is just kind of the way it's done. And at this point, like how young the league is at this point, you kind of don't have the, you don't have the leeway as an, as an older guy to be like, to make this guy's life hard because you need him to perform on the field. Like now you need him to win games for you now because you're trying to make the playoffs. Yeah. And I, I'm with, I think it, I think it's definitely gone that way. Uh, and I think it's a positive and you know, it, you know, you still, there's ways to do team building without embarrassing guys or, or making them feel, you know, insecure or, or not want to be around or, or want to, you know, to go, you know, hide out or, or whatnot, stay away from certain people. So it's a, it's a positive development in most ways, but you know, every now and then we, we can admit we miss the good old days. If you were not going to be a baseball player, if it just was not in the cards for you, what would you have done for work? That's a good question. I, thought about a lot of, i feel like that's a, a classic 
question is like, all right, Classic you're, you're baseball, so lucky yeah. you get you get to play a game for a living and everything's hunky dory and fun and you make a fortune and you beat the system, which is all true. But I don't know. So I I, I think of myself as like a, a business minded person. I was in the business school in college. Never, I didn't pick like a you know what direction I was going to go, accounting or marketing or anything like that. But I don't know, and I'm glad I never had to make that decision. I, I don't know. I, I find the law interesting. I could, you know, lawyer, I can tell you what it wouldn't be is accounting. And I hated accounting classes. <laughs> I had a great teacher. I actually, the teacher I had at Carolina is like world famous. I actually read him about, I randomly in some book, he pops up and people are telling stories about him. He's like one of the greatest teachers, you know, in the country for anything. And I had him and he, he was great. He was entertaining and very good. I just, accounting did not click for me, just staring at numbers. And I have a lot of friends that are accountants. I tell them all the time, my dad's an accountant. I'm like, how in the hell do you guys do this for a living? I'm glad somebody's willing to do it because you guys are nuts. But I don't know, something business related, I think. Is that why you got interested in union stuff? Because I know for people who don't know, you're the AL rep for uh, the players union right now and have been for a few years. Um how did how did that kind of start? What did what kind of got you moving in this direction towards uh, union representation? So you know, I got into professional baseball and got called up to the major leagues, and it's all over. There's so many rules. You know, you have options and days, and you got to sign this paperwork, and you know, put your money in your 401k, and you know, all these different things. And it's overwhelming. And there's you know, we have the the CBA is this book that is all lawyer talk and you know you can sit down and try to read it and it's just so far over your head and like oh my gosh what am i getting into you you feel like you're constantly asking teammates or calling somebody or your agent what does this mean how i handle this so i was in that phase i got traded to florida it was my first year there and it was actually on my start day we're out in seattle i get to the ballpark and the clubhouse doors are locked i'm like what in the world like did i miss a team meeting like did I, is the game in the fifth inning and i like didn't show up like cold sweat you know. immediately yeah yeah so like i knock on the door or like whatever somebody comes and unlocks it and it, it's just the rep vote or whatever so i'm like all right cool like i didn't mess anything up so i sit in the back of the room and my buddy next to me taps on the leg goes hey you we voted you team rep and i'm like what like you're joking right he's like no i'm dead serious so the meeting ends and i'm like you're kidding, right? There's no way I'm the I'm the actual team rep. Like I wasn't even here. You know how do how do you nominate somebody that's not here? Well, sure enough, I don't know if Don Fair was there or whether it was just Michael or you know who. They walked over and said, "Yeah, you know, they, we elected you, you know, team rep if you want to take it, player rep for the Marlins." And you know, basically said, "I think I think Matt Trainer had been the rep before, and he was like, look, you know, you seem like the right kind of guy for it. You're you've shown some interest. You know, we think you're going to be here for a while." You went to college for three years. You you clearly cut out for it. And it just, I got kind of forced into the door and I loved it in the sense that I felt like I learned so much by being involved, by answering other guys' questions. I I learned more about it by actually, you know, having firsthand experience. And selfishly, I felt like it gave me an opportunity to do something that was, you you mentioned kind of like, what would I do if I wasn't playing baseball? Maybe I can use these connections or these experiences whenever baseball does end. I, I hope I go on to have a, a long career and make enough money to you know not worry about it and do this and that. But you know I might need this, and this is an opportunity for me to you know potentially have something to put on a resume if I do need a job. So a little bit of both of those, but you know at the time you know so you know intrigued by you know Michael Weiner was such a great personality, and I definitely I drink the Kool Aid when it comes to guys before us sacrificed so much for us to have everything as sweet as it is and for us to make this much money and to have all these you know great benefits and you know the game that we have is so incredible for us because other people sacrificed a ton to move it forward and it's uh kind of one of those pay it forward things and it's something i'm i'm proud that i've done and i i think it's uh the, the selfish part of what I may get out of this has kind of gone away. And it's something that, you know, I just think that is as players really, really important. And hopefully I've left a positive impact on it. Well, I can say that you have, I, I have been in, involved now for a few years and have kind of seen your leadership uh, throughout this whole process and, and unprecedented times like this year and leading up to 
new CBAs and, and past CBAs. And I think that, uh, you know, I think the game is better off for you doing this. And, uh, you know, obviously we as players really appreciate it, but this is one of those things where you're right. Like you don't get a chance, you don't get a concrete opportunity to leave an impact in the game other than your stats in a lot of ways. And I think, uh, both being a good teammate and, which is a little bit more ethereal. Like you don't really know what being a good teammate is until you're outside of the game and you, other guys are speaking speaking about you. But this is one of those things where you get to actually make concrete decisions about things. And some are going to be great and some are going to, you know, not be so great. And we've experienced both, both in, uh, in CBAs and, uh, and now this year. But I, I think moving forward, your appreciation for what we have and what we need to preserve moving forward has been uh, influential in my life and I think in, in a lot of guys coming forward. So I appreciate it. Andrew, thank you for being on. I got one more question for you. It is not serious at all, but we ask everybody, what was the last thing that you listened to music-wise on purpose? Last thing I listened to music-wise was on purpose. If I swipe out of this and look, I'm trying to think, what did I have on? We were on the bus last night. Are you the DJ on the bus? No, no. It was a, we got in at like 2.30, so it was uh, a quiet ride in. And, and with COVID, the buses are like, you're mixed in with staff. And I think Mosaic It's got to be so bus, weird. So. Damn, the bus no, is the no best time. The bus is like my favorite time during the season. That is such a huge bummer. I know. That's what the, the big league 20, that's, I've been thinking about like, as, you know, as, as things, as you see the, the, the sun setting on a career, like the, the things that I miss are, are things like that, which is the oddest thing. But I think I was listening to drive-by truckers last night. So, uh, yeah, kind of like a, a Southern rock, Jason Isbell was formerly part of that kind of thing. So, Hell yeah, some Athens, some Athens, Georgia rock. I mean, I'm oh, sorry, yeah, I know you're yeah. from Gainesville. I know you're a Florida guy, probably, but you know, Athens, my my neck of the woods. Yeah, we'll have to go to a cocktail party at some point if uh, when things yeah. get back to normal. Andrew, thank you so much for being on here, man. It's been a pleasure. I wish you the best of luck this season. Stay healthy, kick some ass, go win a World Series. Why not? It's 2020. Just do it. Yeah, somebody's got to do it. Why not us? So, hey, I appreciate it. It's been a blast. Thank you. Perfect. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Colin. See you, man. What used to be is gone and-